as you know, there's tax, there's HST, GST, QST, right? So different taxes for different destinations, provinces. So we have to become a little bit of an expert on all that kind of stuff. We have an accountant that does this. And again, we're helping the supplier transition to selling in Canada. Welcome to the Promo Kitchen Podcast. This week, we're sitting down with Neil Meehan of Promotional Resource Group, or PRG, a multi-line agency based in Canada. Neil is an industry veteran and shares his experience on building an agency, what makes a successful cross-border partnership, how the role of a multi-line is changing, and what you need to be successful at marketing in this new world. Enjoy. Neil, why don't you give us a bit of background on how you found your way into this industry? Well, it all started a long, long time ago. I was at a university and a buddy of mine had a little squeeze flashlight that he had got from his company. The company was called Tri-Canada. It was a little squeeze flashlight. I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. So I sourced out with the Fraser's Index where the supplier was and found this company called Presolite Corporation in Chicago, West Chicago, Illinois, and started buying these flashlights for retail. So I was buying them, selling them into retail stores. Well, I started off with camping stores on the way to the cottage and they sold them and they sold through them. And then Roots, Canada, Northern Reflections. I think at the end of it, we had like a thousand stores selling this little squeeze flashlight. It was all one skew. So that's how I got into this industry because I was selling a ton of Presolite flashlights and the company Presolite reached out to me and, you know, to thank me for my business, realized I was only selling one product. And they asked me if I would work for them on the promotional product side. That's it. That's pretty much everyone's origin story of I fell into this, had no idea. And now this is my lifestyle. <laughs> exactly. It just happened. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So you started just selling the flashlights and kind of making your way and how did it evolve into you being a multi-line rep? Probably one of the larger multi-line reps in Canada. Yeah, so we did that for, I could say the press light thing we did for about five years, selling retail. Of course, we were invoicing these customers, retail customers in Canada and distributors as well. And did that for about five years. And then, you know, they introduced a couple of new products, but it was slow coming on the new product category. So it was being asked what's new, right? The number one question, what's new? So eventually we felt the need to have something new. And we reached out to Presslight, asked them if they'd be cool with that. They said, sure. And then we started reselling the Kusan sunglass clip. I don't know if you remember that was a little while ago. Maglites, they were sold through Swiss Peak in Canada and that fell through at one point in time and there was an opportunity to represent them across Canada. So we did that. So that's how we became a multi-line rep. But at the time we were invoicing product in Canada from US companies. So that's what kind of got us some experience on what is needed for suppliers in the US to sell in Canada because we were doing the FOB we were doing the Canadian dollars. Then an opportunity with Canada Blanket showed up. Steve Frischling, the owner at the time, asked us, because we were traveling all the shows in Canada, they asked us if we wanted to help them out in Canada. David from Martini asked us if we wanted to work for them. So all of a sudden, we had you know five lines, and we were a multi-line rep. 
<laughs> Again, you just fall into the name on that. I feel like you're undercutting a lot of hard work that you've put into this, Neil. I feel you need to brag about yourself a bit. No, we definitely worked our tail off, but it just happened. It did. It's interesting as well with your operation is that a lot of multi-line reps in Canada, they combine themselves to one territory. So they're Alberta or they're BC, Vancouver, or in Ontario, you have the GTA, which is the greater Toronto area, or the six, if anyone follows Drake and knows what mm. that means. And yeah. for anyone outside of Canada, we have the GTA in Southwest and then the East Coast. And what kind of sets you apart is that you do cross Canada. How have you found that different from covering just a territory? Like, how did you sort of evolve your business to be cross Canada? Well, it pretty much just started out that way. You know, 25 years ago, we were traveling all of Canada, right? So from day one, it was only myself and an accountant. But over the years, as businesses built and opportunities with suppliers have arrived, we've added personnel as revenues have aligned. So we've got someone in Quebec, Bernie, who speaks English and French, who speaks the market, lives in the market. We separated up the country where each person is responsible for a certain province. In some cases, it's two provinces. My wife looks after the prairies and I travel Alberta, BC. I've been traveling Alberta, BC forever. Again, it just happened, right? We were traveling all of Canada off the get-go. So we do know customers across Canada and that's that. Again, you're really playing into this Canadian stereotype of being humble about things. So if you want to be a bragger at own point, I welcome this. This is what's interesting about your business is that you have Canadian-based suppliers and you represent them for Canada, but you also have a lot of U.S. companies and you represent them for Canada. So what would be major differences that you would highlight for them between the two markets? Because I know from my work with U.S. companies is a lot of us kind of treat Canada as like another state up here and we're vastly different. So in highlighting to your customers, what makes Canada different in terms of a market? Yeah, there's a lot of things. I mean, the Canadian suppliers that we work with, they get it right. They're in Canada. They understand they're born, you know, they're here. So that's definitely a lot easier. Then we are helping them with marketing and many of the things that we do that, you know, we haven't talked about, but on the U.S. supplier to Canada thing that we are known for, we've definitely helped people in many ways. I mean, again, suppliers in the U.S., yes, they consider it to be another state, but there's so much more to it. And this would be a, a whole category, a whole conversation on its own. But there's geography, currency, there's language, English and French, labeling requirements, there's Health Canada complications. Not to turn everybody off on Canada, but there's a hell of a lot to know. There's shipping across the border is more expensive than shipping the same distance within the U.S. So all of a sudden your shipping rates become high and they can't be absorbed by the sales process. So the people complain. Customer service has to understand the market because you can't speak to people in Canada if you don't understand what duty and brokerage is, some of the terminology that's still English, but every customer in Canada is paranoid of getting brokerage and duty passed on to the client because a lot of boxes, you know, any supplier in the US at the shows will say, we ship to Canada. Yes. Do you guys have an FOB Canada program? We ship to Canada. Yes. <laughs> but people are cautious, right? There's all kinds of different 
FOB Canada program. So I just kind of, I don't know, highlighted like the good, better, best, right? There's US dollars we ship to Canada, but you're responsible for brokerage and duty. There's the better where it's still US dollars, but brokerage and duties looked after by the supplier. They become a non-resident importer and look after the brokerage and duty. So they get it. It doesn't get passed on to the recipient, but still bill in US dollars. Then there's kind of the better one, which is building Canadian dollars and having samples right in Canada, having samples in Canada. That's definitely a struggle that suppliers in Canada, suppliers from the US, when you're dealing with a Canadian customer and all they want is one flashlight and they have to get it from the US, sometimes that can be a $100 transaction for a $3 or $6 flashlight, right? Because you've got brokerage in some cases. So having samples in Canada makes a big difference. So that's some of the many. Mm -hmm. It is a lot. One of the things I do as a company, like as a Canadian-based company, because we're two Canadians talking here, is I will just sort of advertise that I'm North American made because the label of Canada can be overwhelming. So some suppliers come in, they do the, you know, good, better and best options that you did, like they stick with the good and then get frustrated by all the obstacles. So it is one of those a lot of people think Canada is, again, just another state that you can handle. And there's the border shipping. But they're not a bad thing once you figure them out. But I find a lot of people don't always devote the amount of time to it. So for you in bringing on a US supplier, like with your experience with them, how do you communicate that to them where they're thinking, oh, it's just Canada, it's just the hat of the US? How do you communicate the true differences of what's needed? Yeah, it's definitely multiple conversations, setting expectations, almost starting a conversation off where do you really want to do this? Because it does take work, right? Like anything else. And if you do it half-ass, it usually doesn't work very well. You can improve it over time. And some of our suppliers have over the years, and that's worked to their advantage and our advantage because they hear what needs to change. And you know, some suppliers are better at listening than others. So they listen, they hear, and they react. So over time, they can improve things. But there's a lot that has to happen to set the expectation, the size of the market. How big is Canada? What's the opportunity? I say 10% of your US business is the goal. That's not a lot, right? People think, you know, they can go after California, increase their penetration with large customers and get more than 10% out of their return on effort. So basically let them know this is the goal. 10% is the goal. There are suppliers that we have worked with that have achieved more, but 10% would be the goal. So the geography, the size of the market, traveling the entire country is a lot of work. We do that for them, but just so that they know, we'd often send down laminated maps of Canada to every customer service person, this is going back. But I mean, we would do that to make sure someone understood, you know, hey, Neil, can you swing by this customer image group and pick up a sample? Who's in Vancouver, right? A five hour flight away. So there's a lot that goes into setting expectations, making sure they're up for the journey. As you know, there's tax, there's HST, GST, QST, right? So different taxes for different destinations, provinces. So we have to become a little bit of an expert on all that kind of stuff. We have an accountant that does this. And again, we're helping the supplier transition 
to selling in Canada, making sure their freight, because I mentioned, you know, freight going across the border is more, sometimes it's double what it is to travel the same distance in the States. So they have to add a little bit of money into their unit costs so that their freight is 5% or less. They build freight into bringing products from China into wherever, Minnesota or St. Louis. They factor the cost of shipping the product from China to their factory, but they have to do the same thing to ship it FOB Canada, FOB Toronto. They have to factor some freight into it because when you buy things on Amazon, it includes free freight, right? That's ultimately what they're looking for. Yeah. And some of our suppliers have even got that figure, like Goldstar, they started offering a free freight program and it's completely changed the conversation. And that's innovative stuff. All I'm talking about is just having freight that's reasonable. Yeah. And understanding cross-border shipping. We're making it sound really scary, like don't ship in here (laughs) because there are so many factors here. But that kind of goes into your previous point of this is where experience and putting the time investment into it. I mean, even state to state, the taxes are different. And so it becomes this sort of, you have to be prepared because you are selling to a different country and that will change the way you do everything. What cultural differences do you see for people that you have to kind of explain? So, you know, just being able to label in French or speak in French, like the value of having a French speaking salesperson. What do you see that is different from what people expect in the U.S.? Yeah. I mean, there's all kinds of cultural things across Canada, for sure. There's so many things. I mean, I'm thinking about labeling as you're asking the question to do with language, you know, labeling as well as the challenge English and French on food packaging. People assume because they have SPF sunscreen is a popular giveaway in the US. In Canada, not so much. There's SPF in it, which requires a DIN, which is a Health Canada thing. So that's a whole process that we've learned over time. Sanitizer. Again, in the pandemic, that was a popular item. <laughs> so sanitizer can't ship to Canada unless it has Health Canada, English and French labeling. We got involved with that. PRG, our company, got involved with that because Ariel sells a lot of sanitizer and they wanted to be set up properly for Canada. So we took on getting the license. They reimbursed us to make all that happen. My wife, Christy, who did all that paperwork and it's still involved. You know, so yeah, there's a lot of things. I don't know if I answered that 100%. The cultural thing, I go down provinces and understanding different customers differently. You could play up all the stereotypes we have. Right. The West Coasters are the hippies. Laid back. The Alberta are cowboys. Yeah. Toronto's the center of the universe and nobody wants to hear otherwise. Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. It is true. You know, the East Coast is wonderful. Everyone is pleasant. Oh, thank you. (laughs) I mean, I just came back from Alberta from a week and they're in a lockdown now, but I was there just the week before. And it was so wonderful dropping in and seeing customers and having meetings. It was like the East Coast. Yeah. Because they hadn't seen anybody for two years, right? Neil. (laughs) So it was fantastic. Which Alberta normally isn't the nice ones. So that's the interesting part. (laughs) (laughs) Or whenever they hear that someone from Toronto is coming, then they're definitely not nice. So... Well, we are fortunate not to honk our horn, but we do work for some amazing suppliers. They're very prominent suppliers. So, I mean, it's amazing. I love it. I love when I 
plan a week out in Vancouver. I fly in on a Sunday and book my meetings across the week. It all lines up, you know? This is pre-COVID, but even during just in Alberta, lining up meetings is a piece of cake. It's not a piece of cake. It does take work. But because you're coming to town and you're getting in an airplane, it's different if you're a local person. You have to fit into the Tuesday schedule, right? Oh, we do Tuesday meetings from 9 until 10. Or, But when you fly from out of town, they roll out the carpet. It's nice. It is nice that way. Even in Alberta. So this kind of feeds into a question about the multi-line model. Yeah. It's been under stress for the past few years as suppliers sort of bring more reps in-house or they just migrate to inside sales models. So what changes have you really seen over the past few years and how have you kind of navigated it? I think it's happened more in the U.S. than in Canada. I think in the U.S., and again, I'm not there. I only go down to PPAI or Chicago once in a while, but in my experience, multi-line reps in the U.S. have a bad rap. We would go down to Vegas with our badge on that said multi-line rep, and we get into a supplier's booth, and they're like, oh, oh, you're a rep. I'd have to dig myself out of a hole. So I quickly realized that's not a good badge to have. So I would get a badge that said the supplier name. Anyways, yes, multi-line reps, you know, your question was under stress. You know, they've been under stress. People are moving to a kind of more factory model. I don't know if that's as big of a case in Canada, but I do know that I think multi-lines, whoever it is, any of them, are the most knowledgeable about our distributors' needs and struggles. I've seen multi-line reps work for suppliers afterwards and done a great job because they really do understand the pains of our customers. I mean, we've worked for some suppliers. Most of our suppliers are all factory, and yet they employ a multi-line for Canada. Showdown has all factory people, Gold Star, all factory people. Now, they used to have multi-lines, but they have switched to factory. Like you said, we've survived. How? Like anything else, it's all about value, right? You have to provide value. If you offer value and you're doing things that are working well for our company and for them, then you're probably not going to lose your job. They know that their costs are tied to sales, so it can't get out of control because it is what it is. The one thing that I wrote down here was the Kenny Ved story. So he works for Gold Star, and he always would say to me, what have you done for me lately? And he has no beef about it. Like He just shoots it straight. I don't care what you did this spring. What are you doing this fall? What's behind us, I'm not talking about. (laughs) Anyways, that's true. That's our job, right? Our job is to perform and get results. We've done a pretty good job of navigating this, I feel. You know, there's a lot of things that we do. I know that was kind of another question you had, but basically it's focusing on the needs of the customer. What are they struggling with? Whether it's social media content, helping them with videos that are client-friendly. So everything that we do in our business is designed to help the customer, not just sell them product. Yeah. A lot of people see multi-line reps as the ones who are constantly knocking on their door and saying like, what's new and kind of the ones on the road. I know suppliers who employ them so they don't have to put their sales reps on the road. Obviously, the pandemic kind of really changed the, hey, welcome in to, hey, what are you doing at my house? (laughs) So how have you really seen multi-lines kind of pivot from I'm the person on the road to 
here's what I'm able to offer. You mentioned social media offerings, client-friendly videos. What other changes have you seen in the multi-line structure because of the pandemic? Yeah, well, I would say many are now doing email marketing. They weren't doing it before. It's definitely changed things for sure. You're out knocking on doors, driving, doing your little milk run, and now you're not, right? So things have definitely changed. So you had to figure out how to connect with customers in a different way, whether it's through LinkedIn or email marketing or picking up the phone as we were talking about before. That is very powerful. So that multi-line reps could do, and they still do. So how have things changed? I would say that would be the biggest thing. I mean, they just realized they couldn't go see customers. So they had to figure out how to be more digital. And as I was saying, that's kind of what we did too. We were doing it before because we are traveling Canada. You know, how do you be in Winnipeg at the same time as Halifax? Well, you do that having a digital presence, right? So we've been doing it for a long time, but we definitely ramped it up during the pandemic because not only did we have to, but... It was something that we've always wanted to do a better job of is helping distributors with them staying connected to their customer because it's the same problem. Distributors can't just go drop in and see their customers. So how do you help them? Well, we have a little focus group of distributors that we get involved with and we ask them, you know, what should we be doing? Here's our top five ideas. If we're going to do this, how should we do it? We don't want to do it wrong. So tell us how to do this. So that's worked well. That's really interesting on sort of the changes. You know, it was one of those, like, we were investing in multi-lines to be out there. And then, you know, their experience just had to move to the digital sphere. So what do you see the future of the multi-line being? And where is there room for growth? And what are limitations? Opportunity for growth in multi-line reps in the future. Interesting. So it's definitely a struggle with many suppliers becoming larger and covering more categories, it definitely is a struggle. So you have to figure out what can be done. I go back to marketing because we've been doing it. So any multi-line rep with some help, I didn't mention this, but there's distributors that I know that have done very well offering marketing to their customers. And that's what they've gone forward with. They're a marketing company. They sell promotional products, but they're a marketing company. And they've done well in the pandemic because people needed marketing. They needed to stay in touch with their customers. So I do feel that that's something that a multi-line rep should do. Not only go see customers and show them new product, but also inventorying samples is a big thing locally by many multi-line reps. That's something they're going to continue to do for sure. Marketing is definitely something that's really important to do. Using technology, definitely something important to do. Keeping track of customers and clients, their end clients is something you got to do. That's something that people try and keep it all in their head, but who's kidding who? You can't keep track of all that information, especially if you're looking after a big territory. So yeah, what does the future look like for a multi-line rep? I mean, I just think we have to do things differently. And if everyone is driving around a small area, dropping off catalogs, then maybe that's not the thing you should be doing. And working hard. I think some, especially in the U.S., don't know why, but they got a bad rap. At least that's what I feel. So, you know, you got to work, got to work your tail off, right? Not to take personal time, you know, but you got to work your tail off, picking up the phone. You were saying, you know, Trevor, picking up the phone and just start calling customers. That's a great way to connect with people. 
with the pandemic lessening and then going up again with Delta, a lot of people want to go back to normal so quickly. And that's not easy to do. And when we get out of this pandemic, hopefully knock on wood soon, mm-hmm. what's going to happen to the multi-line rep? Like, are we going to get rid of that as one of the things we get back to normal as? I don't think so. And again, not that I am one, but if you state of basics, if they really do know the customer very well and their struggles, that's someone you don't want to get rid of. Mm-hmm. Their feet on the ground, they balance both sides. They balance the distributor side and they balance the supplier side, right? Suppliers are often, oh, they just want that for free. You have to be able to see, you know, and I know that's a talent you have in people, but it's not necessarily a multi-line rep or a supplier rep. But I think multi-line reps are here, especially in Canada, when it is such a big country and the population is so diverse, it's so sporadic that our business plan is to have someone in Western Canada. We're expanding yeah, because we believe in it. And we have suppliers that have crossover of product. We have suppliers that have drinkware. Three suppliers have drinkware. Three suppliers have journals. In the old days, that was, oh, you can't have. Yeah. You have hats. No competition at all. You can't have hats. I mean, but it's really not that. It really isn't. I mean, where we are at the showroom here at Promo Expo, there is multiple crossovers. There's multiple reps that sell the same thing in this building. But when you go to buy a car, you go to an auto mall, you go to a, you know, you go to a mall, whatever, Amazon, there's all kinds of competing products there. You have to be your best to be bought, to be sold. So. I think multi-line reps can have competitive lines. I mean, call me crazy, but I think they can. For people who don't know, how have you set up Promo Expo? So you are PRG, but you have your operation of Promo Expo. Can you sort of describe what that is? Ten years ago, Tom Guitard and I, I had a showroom in my dad's building in Brampton. He had a showroom in Markham. So we moved in together here with Michelle Edwards. And I think it was Gordon Tran. Yeah, from Bonica. Gordon Tran, Michelle Edwards, Swedetron at the time. And me and Tom moved in here and set up a showroom with four different supplier reps. Two multi-line reps. Actually, Tom at the time was a multi-line rep. So yeah, basically, you know, it's defined on the website, a group of like-minded industry reps sharing space and working together to promote and having the benefits of more than 70 suppliers under one roof. So basically, it's a showroom much like you know the idea of shared workspace business industry that's taken off where you can get a desk yeah have a shared lunchroom that's what this is in its physical sense it is a showroom that's all together there's different offices where everyone has their own space there's a shipping area there's storage there's a warehouse area so we all share space here and then we do education events we have like 33 chairs that can fit in this little theater area and we have a nice little gathering where, you know, Mark Graham's spoken on his Amazon selling in an Amazon world. We've had diversity inclusion events, LinkedIn 101, social media, how-to sessions. So yeah, it's pretty neat. We all share customer data a little bit. You know, we all know the same customers. Yeah. You're a hub for multi-line reps, essentially. And suppliers. Yeah. There's a couple of supply, yeah, supply, just reps in general. Yes. Yeah. So I'd love to touch on your events as well, because you've had in-person events before the pandemic, and then you've pivoted to virtual events. And you've been doing them since the beginning. And 
What is one piece of advice you would give to someone running a virtual sales event right now? Before we started recording, we talked about how there's fatigue going on. So do you have a piece of advice on what people just need to do to kind of keep energy up? I wouldn't encourage an online event now. I wouldn't. I think people are fatigued. So I wouldn't have any. We did two of them. They're both good. The first one was great. It was at the beginning when people, you know, hadn't done a lot of virtual meetings. Not everybody had a camera or even how to operate it. But yeah, I definitely feel that people are Zoom and videoed out. So I mean, there's all kinds of advice that I could give you if someone was persisting on doing it. But I don't think it's the way to go right now. I think people have had a couple of years of it and they're ready for physical events. I do find it interesting though, is that there are still the client base that we can't travel to as quickly and that there are sales meetings that still happen on Zoom. So the full Zoom event, we might be zoomed out on it. But for one-on-one, like, do you have advice for people doing a sales meeting for the first time or the second or the third time? How do you keep that experience different from something they might be bored of? Yeah, there's definitely a lot of things we've learned over the past couple of years, for sure. Good lighting, using not PowerPoint, in my experience. We use Prezi. Prezi.com, where we interchange the graphics and I'm still there moving around, you know, trying to keep people alive and awake, having a good background. So just simple stuff that you can find online. But the Prezi thing I would say would be the biggest thing. Learning how to use that technology was a big thing that we learned early on at the events that we hosted with eight other suppliers traveling across Canada and all the different cities. We would share that experience with other suppliers that participated at the event. And I think by the end of it, I think we had like five of them were using Prezi. And the overall show was better because people were more engaged. They could still see you and see your your motions. I mean, I'm on presentations also from suppliers. And when they, I'm just going to switch to PowerPoint here. All of a sudden you feel disconnected. It takes a lot of energy output now to do what feels like a really good sales presentation. And especially when people turn their cameras off too, that drives me nuts. I was like, please just let me see a face laugh at my jokes. I know that is tough. That is very, very tough. And some customers say it's because they're through a VPN, so they can't do it. Whether that's the case or not, I don't know. But yeah, it drives me a little squirrely to talk to a bunch of black screens. Yeah. (laughs) But typically we made it, a requirement, whether you can or not, I don't know, legally, I mean, we're a small little business, but we made it a requirement that you had to have your cameras on at the PME event. Listen, we got eight tables and they're private tables. So Genumark, Image Group, Elite, everyone has their own private table. And then we had table number eight. Table number eight was a variety of smaller accounts that shared the table. But we told them, please, you got you got to have your camera on. <laughs> like these suppliers are paying to be there. You know what I mean? We want to see you. Yeah. And you want to see us. We're friends, right? So we had, I'd say, I don't know what the stats were, but 90% at least, or 95%, I would even say in all honesty, had their cameras on for the event that we did 11 times, you know, 11 days in a row. So. Tips, Calendry also, that's an app that we use, you know, booking meetings online. It's integrated with Zoom. 
so people can go and pick a time that's convenient with them. I mean, I'm sure everyone can relate the back and forth yeah. to booking a meeting. How do you make it as smooth as possible? Oh. And there's so much tech now to make it easy for you. Yeah. So on our website, you book a meeting button that wiggles around, you book a meeting, you choose the person and you hit go. And it creates a Zoom meeting and it sends the calendar invites. And all of a sudden you wake up the next morning and you got three meetings. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, damn it, it was going to be a quiet day. Yeah. I was hoping <laughs> to take off early. Yeah. <laughs> Someone's books are five o'clock on a Friday. And you're like, oh no, you're not getting the best me. <laughs> <laughs> well, Neil, thank you so much for your time and your expertise on this. We really appreciate it. And where can people find you if they want to learn more about the work you do? Why? Thank you, Kate. Our website is prg.ca. That's our company. At the very, very, very bottom, there's a supplier services button that kind of says what we do as a company. But on the distributor side, that's where our company lays it all out there. And you're also a great follow on LinkedIn in case anyone wants to sort of watch Genius at Work. So oh, wow. I suggest connecting with Neil as well. Thank you, Kate. Thanks again for listening to this edition of the Promo Kitchen podcast. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe to the podcast through iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, you can always get involved in the Promo Kitchen community by visiting us at promokitchen.org. You can also show your support by donating to our cause at promokitchen.org donate. We would sincerely appreciate it. See you next time. Thank you.